Hi, everybody. This is Science Modeling Talks, the podcast that features top modeling instructors and thought leaders sharing ideas. I'm your host, Mark Royce. Remember to visit sciencemodelingtalks.com to access extra content related to our interviews and to learn more about our guests. While you're there, share your thoughts and comments by clicking the link that says, Tell Us What You Think. We really want to hear from you. My guest for this episode is Dr. Chance Holworth, who graduated with a degree in physics and then got his PhD in physics from UC Davis. Dr. Holworth is currently director for the Center of Engineering, Science, and Mathematics Education and a professor in the physics department at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. The center's mission is to produce more and better prepared science and math teachers and more diverse STEM professionals. The center's primary activities focus on providing undergraduates with teaching experiences and professional development for in-service science teachers. They also promote other aspects of education that support deeper learning in students for science and math. The center has also recognized the value of the modeling instruction approach and seeks to provide a means and support for teachers to learn how modeling instruction works. Here's my interview with Dr. Hallworth. Hey, Chance. How are you? Hello. Very good. Thanks for having me. I'm glad you're here. Uh, I'm looking forward to talking to you today about uh, modeling instruction. And your perspective coming from a higher ed institution. First of all, before we dig in too far, I want to ask you to tell us a little bit about your, your science background. Sure. How you got involved in, you know, kind of a little of your history there. Uh, so I actually uh, graduated from college with a physics degree, thought I wanted to be a high school teacher and ended up going to graduate school because uh, I didn't feel quite ready. And so then at graduate school, you know, things changed and I came to Cal Poly as a lecturer. And so that kind of put me involved in sort of physics education, research, as well as teacher preparation, just because I had a real interest in sort of the um, – high school teaching mm -hmm. and that's sort of where I am now and sort of, and then as I was at Cal Poly, so I guess I didn't tell you, I got a PhD at UC Davis. Um, yeah. And that's where I got exposed uh, through Wendell Potter into some of the physics education research and really kind of pushed me into the, uh, that pathway and definitely coming to Cal Poly, which is a primarily teaching or certainly was a primarily teaching institution really kind of made physics education a lot easier to do than low temperature physics, which I had done before where, you know, we had magnetometers and things that were cold 365 days a year, 24 hours a day. That was a lot harder to do at Cal Poly. So that's sort of how I ended up in sort of the physics education, teacher preparation. And then about 20 years ago, the university really had a push into you know, wanting to produce more teachers. And so they developed a center, which is the, I'm now directing the Center for Engineering Science and Math Education, which was really about more and better prepared science and math teachers and more diverse STEM professionals. So we do a lot of stuff with trying to get undergraduates experiences with teaching and trying to do professional development with teachers hmm. to kind of improve instruction. So you went from wanting to be a high school teacher to getting more involved with teacher development at the university level. What what drove that passion? 
Yeah, I think, you know, when I came, like I said, I did at low temperature physics. And when I came to Cal Poly, I was doing a lot, still partnering with UC Davis. But I, I really had a passion for, for education that I'd kind of ex been exposed to physics education. And even though I did well, I realized there were probably other ways that you could teach physics that might be more engaging. And um, actually, I mean, I probably got involved in teacher prep because at that time, Cal Poly was hiring a lot of people. And you know, I met someone at a social gathering. She's like, we need more people in physics and teacher education. And so you should come to these meetings and do this. And so, I mean, I was a young person trying to find my place at Cal Poly. So I did a lot of different things, you know, the research, traditional research, physics education research, this teacher prep stuff. And sort of, I have been doing that for as long as I've been at Cal Poly now. So, yeah, which is how long, how long you've been there? I think about 23 years. Okay. Um, so how did you get connected or introduced to modeling instruction? Yeah, you know, that's great. I, I think I went to the uh, American Association of Physics Teachers in uh, San Antonio, Texas, which must have been 22 years ago or something. And huh. I remember hearing about modeling and it just sounded like the kind of thing, like I didn't know what it was. I was like, oh, that sounds like the kind of thing I think we should be doing in physics. And, and so there were workshops um, there, and I, I, and I still didn't have a really good handle on what it was. And so it kind of sat there in the back of my mind, you know, kind of as a question, what is modeling? What is this thing? And then uh, when I became this center director, we were really looking for, for – different things that could help. And so I, we actually went with the guy that I was co John Keller and I were co-directing this center. We both at different summers went to a workshop at ASU and sort of experienced modeling. We both came back and were like, no, this is great. This is the kind of thing that we should be doing with teachers. Mm -hmm. So w what are the benefits that you see in modeling instruction uh, that help teachers reach their students? Well, I think one is, is just, uh, I mean, the thing that I walked away from this this first workshop was just the focus on language, right? And I realized how much I didn't pay attention pay attention to the words that I used and wasn't really explicit with the words I used. And hmm. I can't remember the person that was the instructor, but you know, he he talked about words, and you know, when we talk about graphs, you know, we say, hey, the the, the slope is up, or the or the the graph goes up. He's like, the graph doesn't go anywhere. The graph's just here. Right. We need to be more precise and say the slope of the velocity versus time graph is positive. Right. Like those are things that otherwise, how does everybody know what you're talking about? So that was the first thing was sort of this like, oh, like if we could pay attention more to this language, that would probably make things cleaner for a lot of people. And I think then just to focus on interpreting the graphs, I think, was the second thing, like just that, oh, we're going to we're going to build this sort of understanding from things that we've done, I think is really powerful for students. Mm -hmm. So then that was um, the, the second thing. And then the thing that I walked away later is just that there's this whole network. Like I didn't appreciate this at the beginning, but it's the, the modeling network where you have all these modeling teachers that are helping that each other support themselves. Mm -hmm. So from the sort of center perspective, it was like, like that's a big ask to think that like the center can help every teacher in California or wherever. And you really have to be involved in that stuff day to day. Cause I mean, fine, I understand and I can totally appreciate the value of modeling, but 
what it means to implement it on a day-to-day level and what are the things that you do to keep kids engaged like that I haven't done right and so having that network out there where people can you know find people that are at their same level find people that are more advanced so they can really get help doing stuff I think that is super powerful mm-hmm. wow so running the center at uh, Cal Poly. What are some of the challenges at that level for creating uh, professional development through K through 12 teachers? Because is that who you guys work with? Yeah. I mean, that was sort of our vision was sort of like, hey, you know, partly we had this teacher preparation hat on. Hey, we want to have teachers out there that we can place physics students with. So they're, they're, they're seeing the kinds of teaching that we'd really like to see in classrooms. So how do we help people do that? And so that sort of was our initial sort of thinking about, you know, focusing on professional development. Because if we have teachers and we put physics teachers there and they see this stuff, then they're more likely to do the things that they see. And then that's a a positive sort of self-fulfilling kind of cycle. So that's sort of what we were thinking about now. But did I lose your question in there? Well, I just was wondering what kind of challenges you've run up against in doing that at the university level. So the challenge, right, like, so we can offer stuff, right, in the summer. That's not really, I mean, and people will come. But I think finding things that are really valuable, that's enough that teachers can go back and implement. I think that's the maybe the other thing about the modeling instruction is that there's at least a framework that you can pull activities and things. And you still have to put them together in the way that you're going to make them work and adapt to your students. But there's a structure there that you can go pull and go, oh, no, I can pull that activity or I can modify that activity, which is a lot easier than going back and saying, hey, we've got this great idea. You should use models to do physics, but you're going to have to figure out every one of them when you go back to your classroom. Like, that's just really not going to work that well. And so I think the challenge is finding that balance because we certainly do some where we, we bring teachers in and we try and do that, but really trying to connect with people during the school year so that, you know, you're engaging with them. That's, that's just hard. It's hard for teachers to find that time. It's hard for us to find that time and then have it be really valuable, right? you know, at the same time. And we have a lot of local teachers and we're trying to explore, you know, how we do this. So we have some local physics teachers and we get together you know, typically two times a year and once in the summer. And with the pandemic, we've kind of trying to meet, you know, every month or every other month just to kind of stay in tune. But, you know, it's a challenge, right? Everybody's busy. Yeah. And so trying to find the thing that's really like, like valuable. Yeah. That's hard to do. Right. To change everybody's what they're doing. They need, they need to kind of roll with where they're at and people can do little changes, but doing big changes, you need more support. Mm-hmm. So we're still we're still exploring. Yeah. I know your background is physics and you guys started with modeling instruction for physics teachers but you've expanded beyond that I believe not just physics in your workshops. Absolutely. I mean look if if we had if we could we would do physics, chemistry, biology all the time and uh so we really started with physics because that's sort of what we knew. And but but actually the first workshop, I was actually gone on sabbatical and John, I think, brought in some people and really did a holistic modeling, right? It was like a one week, I think maybe it was two weeks, but it was a little physics, a little chemistry, a little biology, a little earth science kind of thing. And that was sort of the first one. And then we did physics. We we found a physics instructor and really uh, did that. And then pretty quickly we rolled into trying to do chemistry 
and trying to do biology. So there were a few years where we ran a physics, a chemistry, and biology. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of people that are really interested in biology, but there haven't, it, at least back then, there weren't as many biology instructors. So it was hard yeah. to find. Yeah. And so I think we were just on track to really get it going. And then the pandemic happened last summer and everything had to kind of go online. So we, we lost that. So hopefully this summer we'll have a biology modeling at Cal Poly and whether it's online or in person, we'll mm -hmm. see, but that's a growing area. I know there's been a lot of uh, development in the biology focus for modeling instruction recently in the last couple of years, especially. Um, so what are you hearing from teachers who are going through your workshops during like your summer workshops? And I assume you kind of stay in touch with some of those teachers. A lot of them are probably from the central coast of California. And what are you hear hearing from them? Well, for the more, I, actually, most of our teachers, I mean, because modeling has such a big network, we get a lot of people from all over. Mm. And so um, if we're lucky, we get half from local, right? We're a very small region. So, you know, once people come, you got to do Once they come, they don't come again, necessarily, unless we offer sort of the second uh, quarter. But by and large, people do come again. They're the people that what we hear from teachers is, I mean, they find the workshops really valuable, I think, because they can see how practical it is. They, they, they get all those re resources. I think it really opens their eyes to sort of using the data to sort of drive why and the relationships between different things, whether that's position and velocity or velocity acceleration or what are all the other things that happen. So I think they, they value sort of that pragmatic. And I think there's this language piece built in. I'm not, I'm not sure anybody has sort of said that exactly, but really all those paying attention to, to what we really mean by all these different words. How are we going to interpret the graphs? I think that just kind of comes with the, the, the program. But I think they find the connections. Like I think people really, I mean, they may, even we may have 15 or 20 people in there and, and they certainly won't connect with all 15, but there's certainly, there tend to be groups. It seems like that really kind of connect, you know, probably wherever they get put in these groups and then they're like, yeah. And then those people talk to each other, you know, outside of the, the workshop. Yeah. And certainly people want to come back like physics. We have three possibility, you know, there's the mechanics and then there's sort of the waves and then there's electricity and magnetism and so i mean people want to come back huh. and and do them so I, I think it's been a super positive for the local environment i mean we have just hired a bunch of new physics teachers so we're definitely trying to you know get a few more in here so we have more people doing modeling because i think that'll just help everybody be sort of more on the same page. So then you can actually leverage each other a little bit more where if you're doing your thing and I'm doing my thing and someone else is doing modeling, it's hard to have conversations and say, Hey, your thing can help me and my thing can help you. So, so you've been doing these uh, workshops at Cal Poly for about a decade now, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So what have you found to be the most satisfying for you personally and professionally in hosting these workshops? Uh, is there, you know, just I'm curious about how it's impacted you personally. It's affected me personally. Just, I, I mean, it's just great to see these teachers here and seeing them build their community and, you know, get involved with modeling. I mean, I think it's great if I were teaching high school, I'd jump into modeling and, and you know, do that. 
if I could. And, um, and I think it's been very nice. I mean, we've had some, you know, instructors that have come in here and been very consistent. So, you know, Brenda Royce has done chemistry. John Anderson has done physics for most of those 10 years. I think it's, it's, it's cool to see those people every summer and kind of interact with them and kind of see what's happening in their worlds when they're really doing the, the modeling teaching yeah. and, you know, see them interact with all the teachers. I mean, I haven't been as big a part as, as I like, right. I get caught up in lots of things in the summer and everything seems to hit all at one time. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I'd love to go hang out there and see what the teachers are doing, but I haven't actually done a whole as much of that as I would like. I know you have a strong involvement with the Noise Scholars Program. Uh, first of all, can you share what that is? You know, because not everybody listening may know about Noise. Probably some do, but but kind of describe to us what Noise is all about. So Noise is a, a, a about really giving. I mean, it's a lot of it is about giving scholarships to students. And those scholarships are sort of really a loan thing where you commit, they will give you $10,000 or $15,000 a year if you commit to teaching in a high needs district for two or three years. Hmm. And so that's sort of the basic structure. But in addition to that, they have a, a structure where, you know, they'll meet once a month and kind of talk about what's it mean to teach physics or biology or chemistry in a high needs school district. Like what else do you have to think about other than physics, chemistry, and biology? And so um, we've had a really solid team of, you know, science educators and uh, a woman from ethnic studies who studied science and technology. And so they, you know, work with them and really sort of build the connections with those students. But actually, I mean, that's what's made our modeling workshops viable is that we've had Western regional noise. We've really, they've contracted us to put on these workshops the last few years for noise scholars. You specifically have chosen to link the noise scholars to the modeling workshops. Is that correct? Right. Well, the, the, so the Western regional noise has a, put a proposal and said, Hey, we want to do, they contract with NSF to do certain work. We're going to do PD in the summer. We're going to put on workshops during the year. We're going to, there's a national workshop in Washington, DC. And so we contract with sort of the, the PI, which is San Francisco state. Mm. And we do the modeling science and they, they partner with, um, Northern Arizona University to do something similar in mathematics. And so that's sort of, they've decided. So we convinced the Western region, you know, the PI, I think John Keller was one of the co-PIs and said, Hey, we should do modeling. Hmm. And that's sort of how we, so we got involved in the last few years. Right. And so we're, what we're trying to do is figure out how can we sustain this once Western regional noise goes away, right? Because what's happened is we have some money from Western regional noise and we have some mon other money. And then that's what allows us to offer physics and chemistry. Mm -hmm. And so half the spots are for noise scholars, but half the spots can be for other people mm. as well. And so some of those people are local and we have money to support those people. And then other people just pay to come to the workshops. And so on the whole, we've been able to sort of make that work. But with the eye towards what happens when Western regional noise goes away, we still want to be able to do all these workshops. Sure. So where's the price point that allows people to come, people are willing to come, and uh, we can still, you know, pay the instructors and have people put people up in, the, in rooms and all that stuff. Yeah. That admin side of your job is probably pretty demanding, I would guess, on, you know, running these workshops. 
or do you have uh, a team around you? Yeah, I have a team. So, I mean, it, it's not so much. I mean, there's certain times where you have to think about things and then we've had really good people that have picked up the details and handled advertising and, and handled the, you know, all the questions coming from people. Cause yeah, if I had to answer all the questions that people are interested in, then that would definitely be a different job. And, and, but that's what it takes, right? I mean, administration, it, certainly it's different than teaching. Everything's got its pros and cons. Yeah. You know, and on different days, every other one looks good and the others look bad. So we we're, we're cruising along. The, um, so I'm curious about the modeling instruction philosophy. Have you seen it or has it had an impact on the teaching at, at Cal Poly's uh, science programs or education programs? And do you see an influence? No, it's pretty isolated. So, you know, you know, about 10 years ago when I was super excited, I tried to teach modeling one quarter in it. Well, I did teach modeling one quarter in the, at the university. And that was sort of before I got really pulled into administration. And, and I, I think it could work. I think it could be valuable. Uh, but then we had to think about some things, only seeing people for that littler time, you know, where in high school, you sort of see people, you know, every day for an hour or, a couple hours for two days where this 10 weeks, you know, only having 30 hours definitely sort of limited what you can do. You needed more supports to have people do more stuff outside of class that I mm -hmm. was not set up to do because it would mm -hmm. seem like you'd come in and you go, oh, no, the important thing is to do the experiment. Well, that's great. But then when people are all, you also need to help people scaffold and sort of understand how you're going to take the slope and what that means and, and, and figure out, you know, how you're going to represent that as an equation. And if you don't do all that, then students really feel like, uh, I didn't, you didn't give me enough of what I needed. Mm. Right. And they don't appreciate the lab where I think if you can kind of do all those things. Hey, we did this experience where we kind of understand what's going on with this experience. And we've kind of developed all the representations and we had time. It just made it really fast. Yeah. Like, you're like, okay, this 15 minutes we're doing this, this 15 minutes doing this, which is sort of counterproductive at some level if you want people to feel comfortable. And so, like I said, I think you could figure it out and make it work in higher ed, but um, you, you have to think about it. it, it the, the there's just the structure, which I imagine teachers have to do if they're in block schedule or not block schedule, or there's some things to figure out. So. Does that address your question? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I was wondering if modeling uh, approach in the classroom would work well in a university setting or not, you know? And I think, it, uh, like I said, I think it could. I think, uh, like, unfortunately, at Cal Poly, you know, in the meantime, there have been lots of budget cuts. People have cut the lab section from our mechanics courses, mm. which makes it a little bit harder. So now you have even less time yeah. to do all the stuff. Uh, but it could certainly work. I mean, if you have to teach 150 people, you'd have to think a little more, but I, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm positive you can figure out how to make that work because I think it's great. I mean, it's just it, the problem, I think, for a lot of university faculty that come in, it just, it's, it's, it just seems slower, mm. right? Because you're kind of spending this time, which I think is super important, right? You got to understand these things. You can't just kind of go up there and go, hey, this is how it works and expect everybody to come along. But... It's a harder sell and sort of what happens in the summer when we do this PD is, you know, we don't really interact with the faculty that are here. So it's not like there's a crosstalk. Right. I see. 
Mm-hmm. There's only so many things you can, like, I think you can do that. You can try and make that happen, but there's only so many things you can do in a 24 hour period. So you got to make choices. If someone's listening and they're interested in participating in one of your workshops, what's the best way for somebody to get connected to Cal Poly? Absolutely. So typically when we do workshops there that we, they, they get advertised on the AMTA website and all that. And I mean, we'll have our own website, but it certainly doesn't, I mean, you could come to Cal Poly, you could come to our center for engineering science and math education, which we call Sesame's webpage. And we'd have links on there to it, but certainly the easiest access is through the AMTA I'm I'm just curious about from your perspective. Your I'm I'm gonna ask you to pull out your crystal ball, and look at what do you see coming in the future? What's on the horizon in science education that you think could be a real positive and improve the effectiveness of science education in our schools? Well, I, I don't know. Maybe this isn't my crystal ball or my hope ball or whatever, but I think this sort of paying attention to um, inclusivity, right? And how do people feel when they're taking courses and trying to, you know, um, like we have an underrepresentation problem, right? We, there are very few blacks, very few Latinas, Latinos in the field, right? And we're, we're not women. I mean, physics isn't in particular, isn't that good. So how do we sort of create and think about what's the culture that we're creating in our classrooms. I don't think modeling sort of did this default, but I think you could even be more explicit about supporting people, supporting, you know, giving people counter narratives to the narratives that are out there that are telling people, look, women and underrepresented people don't belong in physics and really paying attention to language, you know, and, and saying, hey, how do we sort of value what people bring and teach people sort of the language that we're using? I think there's a whole dynamic in there that I'm just starting to understand. So that would be my hope is that paying attention to the culture of our classrooms will then sort of help drive more people interest in physics, you know, as well as keep the people that are interested, that started interested in, you know, people that then just felt like they didn't belong and sort of ended up leaving. So, I mean, that mostly, I guess I'm wearing my physics hat, but I think it's true in science in general. Um, as well. So how do you think we do that? How do we promote that broader inclusiveness to to bring more of the outliers into the education arena? I, I just read a, a book by, um, I think it's Brian Brown, STEM in the City, and he talks a lot about language, both as a language defines who you are, and language sort of defines who's in the, 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 the discipline. So really, you know, so really listening to students because he had done some workshop or he had done some study where he coached baseball and just tried to understand what do baseball players know about throwing curveballs. And his, his, one of his things that he talks about is that they understand a lot of stuff. But when they describe it, they don't describe it the way that you would describe it in a physics class. And so making sure that you don't throw out what they know because they don't say it in the way that you think it should be said, right? You have to pay attention to that point where, no, what are they really trying to say and what do they really understand? And then how do we translate that into the academic language that we really uh, 
you know, want students to use if they're going to do a physics sort of explanation and sort of valuing that and not, because I think what happens a lot of times is people get shut out. You know, they're like, oh, no, that's not the right language. When really there was understanding in there, maybe not the full understanding, maybe not everything, but certainly there were pieces in there where people understood what was going on or an idea, or at least that idea could be a scaffold for someone else or a resource for someone else. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's, one thing as well, you know, and then giving people a chance to practice their academic language. And the other thing is this uh, ambitious science teaching, which I think can go really well with modeling, which really puts this, like modeling, puts this focus on phenomena, hmm. right? That's the thing. And then linking those phenomena to things that people care about, right? Or at least can draw them in, right? I mean, what's the story in there? And I think, you know, a cart moving down the track isn't the most interesting story, but it's at least more relevant than a lot of other things, you know, if you didn't talk about it. And I think you could, if we work a little harder, find things to talk about and really find what do people know and get their language pieces out there and really do like the modeling thing to really develop their understanding. I, I think that. Right. And I think in that process, if we're really listening to people and we're connecting to what we think is really important, then I think, I think some of that can happen as well as being explicit, right? I mean, the whole George Floyd uh, movement, we need to be more explicit about how do we create these environments? How do we include people? How do we, you know, educate ourselves in that regard? And all I can say is, yeah, we need to be more explicit. I don't actually know how to do all that at this point. Well, the process is, is the challenge and how to get there. So what is it about modeling that uh, you feel is is really important for our classrooms in America? I think what's really important is that, you know, I mean, it's it's putting the, the focus on students, you know, so structurally you're sort of having them and you're putting the focus on phenomena. So they are trying to s- describe phenomena, which is really what science is about, right? It's not about having the right answer or doing this. It's about trying to explain things that we see around us or make sense of sort of the world, you know, and so really putting that scientific enterprise and valuing like, like, I don't know that everything has to be phenomena, make, make, uh, make sense of it, do all that. Right. But you need to do that a few times. So you appreciate the process and really can kind of connect with it. Mm. And so I think that's sort of what's valued. And, and I think related to some of the other things we said about focusing on language and all that, I think the structure is there for modeling. So I think it's an easier transition to really start to pay attention to, hey, what's the environment? You know, what are we trying to do? How do we want people to feel in this this classroom? Like, I think that was already there. And with, you know, it's, so it's easier to even up that game, I think, a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the real, like for me, it's sort of that, the phenomena piece, because I think that's just so much and really trying to make sense of that through the models. I mean, that's what we mean by the critical thinking and science and having an appreciation for all those things. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And teaching our students how to learn. <laughs> right. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, they have to bring their critical thinking. I mean, but you have to put people in position where they have to do it and they have to want to do it. Yeah. Right. I mean, it has to be engaging enough that people, I mean, otherwise, I mean, you can have the greatest thing in the world and if people don't come along, then they're not going to get what you wanted. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, that's what I think the phenomena can really pull people in and they're going, well, I don't really care, but you put this thing in front of me and now I want to understand what it's about. Right. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That's great. Well, 
Dr. Holworth, I'm grateful that you took the time to talk today. My pleasure. It's been great chatting with you. Let's uh, connect another time. All right. Sounds good. Thanks so much for joining us on another episode of Science Modeling Talks. Head over to sciencemodelingtalks.com and you'll be able to listen to any of our archived episodes and access our show notes, which include guest bios, show highlights, and links to resources that were mentioned during the interview. While you're there, subscribe to our show so you won't miss out on any of our episodes. When you join this community through our email list, we'll send you a link to a lot of awesome resources from the American Modeling Teachers Association. Okay, so that's our show. As always, remember to keep striving for excellence in your classroom.